I'm James Hahn II. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to This Week in Oil and Gas, brought to you by Red Wing. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Here we are, episode 44, and a happy new year, Mr. LaCour. Yeah, James, happy new year to you too. And happy new year to our entire audience, although you'll hear this and it will actually be uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> new Year's Day. New Year's Day. New Year's Day. You got anything planned? You can turn up? Uh, actually, no, which sounds really lame, but my wife and I are both so busy that we decided we're just going to stay up a night, uh, have dinner, and have a nice night at home. Yeah, I'm watching the Red Wings hopefully destroy the Pittsburgh Penguins. So uh, that's that's on my plate. But we have the, what is this? This is probably the fourth edition now of the first Friday Q&A, and we have a lot of questions to get to. Anything that you want to say before we get to these questions? Well, isn't it really cool how our listeners, not only are they giving us questions, but the questions are getting better and harder. Um, I love this, right? I love the participation and the, and the dialogue we have with our audience. Yeah, that is a really great point. They are, they, they're getting much more dialed in with more detail, and hopefully, hopefully we can stump Mr. LaCour a few times here. <laughs> okay, wait, stop. That is not the goal. Your <laughs> goal is not to stump me. All right, let's set that as a goal. Um, <laughs> so we'll, we're going to start off with Zachary Fogelson. And he writes, first off, I'm a big fan of the show, been listening for about six months now, and it's been unbelievably helpful for me in my current job as I'm new to the industry. A couple questions for you and James. Considering that bankruptcies do not mean production will stop for EMPs, see link, and he, he actually links to a story that Magnum Hunter filed for bankruptcy and so I'll throw that in the show notes at triberocket.com forward slash TW44. So um, at any rate, considering that bankruptcies do not mean production will stop for EMPs, do you think that even if a large number of firms go under, we won't see crude prices stabilized? How long can firms remain operational after they go into Chapter 11? Yeah, Zachary, man, what an awesome question. This is showing how you're thinking way ahead of everybody else. This is great. So uh, I guess the first thing for me to say is there's different types of bankruptcies. Chapter 11 is when the, the bankruptcy laws allows the company to continue to operate. But what happens is the debtors now control the company. And, and there's a bunch of legal requirements. They have to put together a plan. And there's a time frame. And, you know, it's, the whole goal is to try to keep the company up, uh, get rid of as much debt as possible so that people can continue to have jobs and uh, uh, you know, the company can continue on. So the last part is question, how long can they remain operational after they go to Chapter 11? It may be years, right, or months or years. There, there really is no timeline. Um, it's all uh, built around whatever the bankruptcy plan that gets, gets approved. It has a timeline in it. And then the other part of the question, if you think about this, so if they go Chapter 11, they're still in operation. He's saying, will they keep producing, and this way you won't see crude prices go back up. Great question, but what's going to happen is, and we've already started to see, this is the very end of 2015, production is going down in the U.S. So um, the production and the filing for Chapter 11 have some, um, some correlation, but they're not directly related. So production is going down regardless of whether these companies are file, filing Chapter 11 or not. And if you file Chapter 11, it doesn't mean that you disappear. You continue to operate. So I want to follow up on that because I've lived through a few Chapter 11s of large companies up in Michigan, and a lot of people talk about even, I'm not thinking of GM or other places like that, but I think that's an obvious 
first place for me to start. How does that work then? They, they file bankruptcy and they make their way through it? Well, so what happens is there's several ways you can file bankruptcy. I think there's, um, there's probably an accountant out there can probably correct us. There's a chapter three, a chapter seven, chapter 13, chapter 11. Chapter 11 is, is a part of the law that allows the business to, to continue to run under a set of rules agreed to by a court. And what happens is if, um, like in the case of Magnum that he's talking about, Magnum had a bunch of uh, debtors, right? A bunch of people that they loaned money to Magnum and they wanted their money back. Well, Magnum could file chapter, I think, three, and then that means the company gets sold, the company disappears, and, and the people that they owe money to get a piece of that in order. It doesn't mean they get all their money back. So if you are a bank um, or some type of equity firm and your company's getting ready to go under, you'd prefer them to file chapter 11 so they can keep operating. So hopefully you'll get most, if not all, of your money back. It just may, may take longer for you to get it back. Makes sense. Yeah, that's that's the. I think that's where I hear they talk about restructuring the debt. Right? right, restructuring. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and we talked about that in a previous show. All right, good. Um, did we dig into that one enough? Yeah, we did. That was a great question. All right, thanks for that, Zachary. The next one comes from someone who shall not be named. You guys often mention how much people underestimate the influence the oil and gas industry has on our daily lives and think that the only use of the oil and gas industry is for is fuel for road transportation. What percent of oil and gas being produced today is needed for purposes other than road transportation fuel? Yeah, once again, another awesome question. So um, this is the answer to this question varies depending on what year you're talking about and what country you're talking about. So we're going to talk just Probably about what the, season too, right? In the season too. Uh, we're going to talk about just the U.S. in 2015. So in 2015, a barrel of crude, about 45% of that crude is turned into transportation fuels, and that's gasoline, diesel, jet fuel. Um, the other 55% is turned into stuff, and you would be amazed at the stuff that's made from oil and gas. Um, think about adhesives that comes from the oil and gas industry. Um, think about all the different uh, parts and cars that are made from oil and gas to make them lighter and um, more fuel efficient. Consumer products, think about the buckets, Tupperware, all that sort of stuff comes from oil and gas. Um, industrial applications is all kinds of high-tech products that uh, industry industries use that come from oil and gas. Lubricants. <laughs> Every lubricant that practically it's used, other than what goes into satellites in space, is comes from the oil and gas industry. Interestingly enough, the lubes they use for satellites in space are actually whale oil from a whale because it's the only one that does is not as temperature sensitive. So they can have it in zero degrees or have 300 degrees and still lubricates. Um, packaging, every time you open an envelope or unwrap a present, cut that tape that came from oil and gas. Agriculture, all the fertilizers came from oil and gas. And I could go on and on and on. Medical, you know, 85% of the stuff in the hospital emergency room came from the oil and gas industry. But let's quit talking about that sort of stuff and let's put something real. One barrel of crude oil, um, about 35 polyester shirts is made from the remains of what's in that crude after they use the rest for um, – uh, um, fuels. So think about that. 35 shirts can be made from, you know, that, that, that one barrel of crude that's multiplied <laughs> by the millions of barrels that are produced today. And you can get a feel for what actually the oil and gas industry adds to our society. Well, I was traveling obviously over the holidays and the more I was on planes, the more I looked around and thought this entire plane is made of oil. It, yeah. I mean, it literally is. And even the stuff that didn't come from oil, like the aluminum, guess where the energy comes? Cause aluminum is not natural. 
what's natural is something uh, uh, material called bauxite. That bauxite has to be heated to unbelievable temperature, and then they use electrolysis to turn it to aluminum. Guess where the energy comes from to do that process? Us. Us, the oil and gas industry. <laughs> right. but even the aluminum that was on your plane, that's not a product of oil and gas. It needed oil and gas to be um, manufactured. Right, right. All right. Well, we, we, I hope that helps um, Mr. I think it was ABC who asked, her that, asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, moving on to Jeff King, who's coming in with a little, 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 sauce, uh, little sassiness here. We're, we're going to push back on you, Mr. LaCour. Good show. I really enjoyed it. But I cringe a bit every time you say the oil and gas industry solved the U.S. acid rain problem. Most of the, I'm saying SO2 and and uh, oh, and, God, and NOx emissions were from coal. What's that? <laughs> so sulfur dioxide and nitrogen oxide. Got it. Emissions were from coal-fired power plants and government regulation was the catalyst for change. In 1989, the U.S. Congress passed a series of amendments to the Clean Air Act Title. Four of these amendments established the Acid Rain Program, a cap-and-trade program that required companies to comply with new regulations and reduce emissions. But that's a nitpick. I do really enjoy your show and learn a lot from it. Keep up the good work. So what say you, Mr. LaCour? Yeah, so he's absolutely right. I, I, I probably should not just so freely say that the oil and gas industry solved the acid rain problem, but he's right. The Clean Air Act um, is, is what was the stimulus, the motivation, right, to remove the stuff that we knew was dangerous to people and to, and to the planet. But what happened is that was just the stimulus. At that point in history, which is back in the late 70s, early 80s in that area, there was only a couple of options to get rid of the coal-fired power plants where most of the um, damage was coming from. And that was clean coal technology or nuclear, both which at that point in time were extremely expensive. So the oil and gas industry came in and showed the electrical generation um, and the utility companies, hey, look, we can guarantee you there's this long-term, forecastable, deliverable fuel called natural gas, which will allow you to meet your emissions um, that you have to meet by law. And so as a whole, not, not I want to say 100%, but as a large chunk of the electrical fires just jumped to natural gas. So he's right. What I really should say is that the oil and gas industry made it economically possible to get rid of acid rain and pollution. And that, that's the truth. All right. Thanks for that, Jeff. I hope that helps. You definitely helped us by getting us straightened around on that issue. All right. We have another person who shall not be named, and I'm trying not to say the, the particular name of a certain anonymous because <laughs> we are we are actually transcribing these now, and I do worry about my website security. Um, so a person who shall not uh, did not submit their name. In my current role, I'm a software developer. I would like to remain highly technical, but also transition to trading and analysis. What companies would you recommend I look into and what skills are most important for me to demonstrate to potential future employers? Yeah, I hope a person who doesn't want to be named um, has actually thought this through. That trading floor is brutal. Um, Now, you make a lot of money, um, but, but that has a high burnout rate. But if that's what you're looking for... Um, you know, there's a couple of places I would tell you to look that you may not even think of. So before you try to get a job on the trading floor of, of Shell or, or um, Conoco or something, there's a company called PricewaterhouseCooper, PwC, and they do a lot of um, um, consulting and a lot of training for the oil and gas companies around commodities and energy training. So I would actually reach out to PwC, see if you can come in the door there, because they will teach you the, the industry from the ground up so that you can better serve their clients, which are the big oil and gas um, uh, 
companies. So think about that. They would pay you to basically train you so that later, if you wanted to go work for Motiva training or, um, you know, somebody like EDF or, um, uh, you know, Conoco or Chevron on their trading floor, or, you know, even on the utility side, somebody like direct energy, you've been trained properly from the ground up. As far as what skill sets, uh, we've talked about this for other jobs and it applies to this one a lot. You've got to be able to disconnect yourself emotionally from the math and the statistics that allow, that tells you when to buy and sell. You can't do stuff on a hunch. You have to make it a science. Um, so if you're in that, if you're in the mood for that fast, high paced, pressure driven world, you know, that's the way I would go about it. I got to go back here to the very beginning of your response, though, because I heard something that I've not heard. You said a trading floor at Shell? Oh, yeah. They, they, all, of have, all of them have a commodities floor. I shouldn't say all of them. Most of them do. And um, it's crazy. It's like walking in Wall Street, but it's in, you know, it's in Chevron's or in ConocoPhillips or it's in you know, Exxon or whatever. They, they, part of their revenue stream is they buy and sell oil and gas commodities, not just for themselves. That, that business unit makes money on its own. So they may be buying, you know, Shell uh, crude that's sitting in a Chevron super tanker that's being shipped to an Exxon refinery. And so it looks like it, like it's Wall Street down there with yeah, guys I mean, in jackets that, running around screaming at each yeah, other, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the exact same thing. Huge displays. I had a chance years ago before um, Kinder Morgan bought El Paso, is I got a chance to tour their their trading floor, and it was you like you were in Star Trek, right? There's these huge displays. This is before plasma was real popular. Um, all over the walls, there were computer monitors everywhere. There was interns running around, pieces of paper, handing stuff off. Telephones ringing back and forth, and there was probably a hundred people in there, you know, buying, selling for El Paso. That is insane. I this this is another huge part of the industry I knew nothing about until this very moment. Yeah. How, how many how many companies like that are there out there? Thousands. Thousands. Yeah. It, probably more like tens of thousands. So not only do you have the trading floors of the oil and gas companies, you have companies that do nothing but trade in commodities and you have the commodity traders that specialize in oil and gas. In, in, so at a company like Shell, how big is their trading floor? <laughs> they have multiple trading floors. So we talk about um, their commercial aspects like at Motiva, their freight trading, their compliance, <laughs> their power trading. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a business in itself. It's a world in itself. Wow. Wow. And are we talking about, about, you said there's a hundred people in the room that you went into at a company like Shell or or one of the, it's it's much bigger, thousands of people in there. Yeah. And they're scattered all over the world. They're not like in one room in Houston. It's, it's, you know, wherever that business needs to be. Got it. Okay. (laughs) That's just extremely fascinating. I'm gonna have to ask you more about that offline. All right. Thanks for that question. Software developer. Chris, <laughs> Chris, I like that. We'll start calling them other job. Titles. Yeah, let's do that. Um, Chris from BDM. Uh, he's a BDM, which I need you to tell me what that means. BDM for uh, Premier Chemica, Chemical. And his question is, Mark, I'm a dedicated listener of the show, and I truly uh, appreciate the time you guys invest in providing valuable content. I wanted to start by offering some clarification on a story you guys covered about Devon Energy's acquisition in episode 41. The acquisition was three parts. The first part was Devon's purchase of the cl- of close to two billion dollars worth of assets from Felix Energy in this uh, in the stack play, which is in the Sooner Trend section of the Anadarko Basin in Oklahoma, not in the Powder River Basin, as you guys stated. The second part of Devon's acquisition involves six hundred million dollars in assets from an undisclosed third party. 
That acquisition was in the Powder River Basin, which is in Montana <laughs> and Wyoming, not Oklahoma. That was my fault. Um, the part of the deal associated with Felix was, or E-Link, I don't, N-Link, okay, sorry, with N-Link was for acquisition of Tall Oak Midstream. Also, another interesting point is that the partnership between Devon and N-Link is less of a new deal than maybe some would think. Devon previously owned 70% of N-Link, so I'm not sure that, quote, merger is much more than just uh, is much more than just money moving around within the same set of hands. Thoughts, Mr. LaCour? Yeah, so BDM's business development manager. Uh, Chris, thanks for pointing out where we, where we messed up. Um, and, and for our audience, we actually want you to point out when we make mistakes or if we get something wrong. And we, we like to learn too, right? So this is a way for James and I to um, make sure that we're learning the right things. So he's absolutely right on every single point that he touched on. I think it's funny how we got the geography mixed up. <laughs> that, that's, now, that's really embarrassing. Now, I, I do wonder a little bit, Chris, you know, how often do you get out if you're paying that close attention to our show and you realize that our geography was off? And, and I'm just joking about that. Um, good <laughs> he stuff says that to stuff. me all the time, guys. So yeah. don't worry about well, that. Well, it is true about you. It's different. That's, that's different. <laughs> all right. You do need to get out more. Um, but one of the things I want to talk about this, so, you know, talk about Devin and Crosstech uh, created this in-link midstream. And if you read all the financials and you go through the deal, what they really did is took their respective companies and formed a master limited partnership, an MLP. And I don't want to go into all the tax stuff around MLP, but MLPs were real hot a few years ago for oil and gas companies because it gave them some tax breaks and shifted some liability. And so you saw a lot of ML, um, MLPs um, starting up. And then you've seen a couple of companies, most noteworthy, um, Kinder Morgan, who, who dissolved an MLP because it wasn't worthwhile to them from a fiscal point of view. So th the whole takeaway from this is it looks like Devon and uh, Crosstech, when they formed Enlink, it looks like their final goal was to form an MLP, which is what they did. But good stuff, Chris. Good stuff. The bigger, so the, the, the reason they would do that is for taxes or there's is there some operational efficiency things that are happening there too no no operational efficiency it's it's, it's it gives you gives them some tax breaks and it shifts some liability around so it just makes it more favorable business conditions for them all right good stuff we got a we we got someone looking for a certification here what would be one certification that you could think uh, that you think could help almost anybody in the business get a promotion or get another job regardless of position or segment yeah, think about that, James. That's a hard one to answer. Um, when I look at that, there's two things that pop in my head. Uh, basically, anything around process improvement. And the two big ones are, of course, Six Sigma and a Lean Manufacturing. And of those two, I would say Lean would be my preference. Um, if I'm thinking about hiring a salesperson and he has um, a Lean certification, so he understands about how to improve the process, think about what he could do for my sales organization. He could shorten the time from the moment that we have a prospect until we actually close a deal. Um, he also probably could save me money. Um, and if that same, uh, if there was an engineer, right, and he has a lean certification, well, I bet he can improve our engineering process and so on and so on and so on. So if I had to only pick one, regardless of where you are in the industry or what segment, I would probably pick a lean certification. That's interesting because I, I, I thought you might say Six Sigma. The first thing that pops to my mind is MBA, but of course that's not a certification. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and I don't know if I would suggest people get an MBA. That's not as um, important as it used to be in this industry. Uh, it used to be if you had an MBA, you were sure of upper management. Now pe what people want, especially big companies, is they want experience. 
Um, there is some education they want you to have, but they once you have that education, they can make that check mark on that box. What they really look like at is your experience. So, so we're going with lean. Is it is is lean an acronym for anything or short? No, no, no. It's it's so it, there's it's two different approaches. Both are process improvements. Um, so Six Sigma actually came from uh, I think Motorola. And uh, it was uh, uh, GE is what who made it so popular. I think Motorola invented it, and then um, Lean actually came from Toyota. So um, two different approaches. Philosophies are slightly different. The newest thing in the last couple of years is somebody combined them together. It's called Lean Six Sigma. Um, yeah, I'm looking I, at that right now. Yeah, I, I still think you're better off with just a Lean certification. Um, would be my number one choice. Number two would be a Six Sigma. All right, perfect. And 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 bringing us home here, we have. Sam Wilson, self-employed investor, no website. We're gonna have to work on that. <laughs> His question. Sam, first, reach out to James. And help you <laughs> first of all, I enjoy your podcast and the fact that you're based in Houston. You provide a much needed perspective that is lost in the mainstream media. Two questions for your show. One, Schlumberger acquired Cameron in 2015 and has also teamed up with TNT, a German rig manufacturer, to create a new line of land drilling rigs. Is the idea for Cameron to provide the rig equipment needed for these land rigs? Cameron does not have a strong portfolio on rig equipment. NOV is the clear leader, and I don't believe the Sense acquisition and its produ- and its products are going to sit well with Schlumberger and what they are planning to do. So let's just pause there because that's enough to unpack, and we'll go to the second one. That's some good questions, and he, he um, you know, Sam's obviously in the industry to to ask questions of this much nuance and detail um so sam i'll tell you this much if for some reason slumberjing and cameron their executives don't call me and ask my opinions on stuff they should but they don't so what i'm gonna tell you is what is going around the rumor mill you know i i you know i can't make any guarantees on this and please don't invest any money based on what i'm about to tell you um so the whole slumberjing acquiring cameron and your question about the um the uh, rig equipment um, um they, they absolutely are looking um to start manufacturing more equipment to actually equip these rigs. And they, they're going after National Oil Varco, you're right. NOV is the is the 800-pound gorilla in that room. And I think that actually with Slumberger's guidance and Cameron's manufacturing ability, I think they can actually go after that. Um, and then as far as the rigs, what's happening is Slumberger is, is, is niching out a piece of the market with specialty rigs. So they don't want the, the you know the standard whatever rig that everybody else has. They're going after specialty rigs, so rigs that can they either move themselves or highly robotic or really high horsepower. So they're trying to niche themselves in the rig market. Um, so it's really good questions, but that's what we that's what it looks like that they're doing. What's the Sense acquisition? So the Sense acquisition was a, a Norwegian company they acquired that actually does some um, engineering and manufacturing of rig equipment. Um, I, they, I, they obviously go keep that. I don't think they're going to roll that off um, because they are going after National Allwell's book of business. So that, that's the whole reason they acquired Sense. So they're going head to head with National Oilwell Varco. You know, I don't think they're going head to head. I think that would be foolish. I think they're going to come out sideways, right? I think they're going to flank National Allwell and they're going to figure out things that uh, um, Slumberjay can do that National Allwell can't. One of the strengths of NOV is their global supply chain. They can get a, a pump <laughs> anywhere in the world better than anybody else. So I think what Slumberjays can do is go after it stuff that's not so much a commodity that they they have a leg up on uh, National Allwell. Like there's a lot of valves that Slumberjays now have access to that um, high quality, high end valves that um, Cameron manufactures that National Allwell just can't really get at a competitive price. And there's some stuff out there that you just can't get. Period. 
So um, it's gonna be interesting battle to see what happens in the next five or six years with that. So yeah, that's that's a very my marketing mind is kicking in there and thinking about the difference between sort of mass marketing and niche marketing. And, yeah, no, exactly. That's exactly what I think is happening. Yeah, interesting. All right. So the second part of Sam's question, Mark mentioned a few podcasts ago that he has some stories about Cameron around their cultural differences and operational challenges. Mark, do you mind sharing what you know? Thanks and keep up the good work. Yeah, so uh, Sam, I'm not going to share everything that I know because some of it's covered under non-disclosures. Um, Cameron's a big old ship, right? And they're internally, there's a bunch of political fiefdoms. Um, for a long time, their subsea manufacturing division was their moneymaker, and that has changed. They did that on purpose. They've grown a lot. Um, they, they, they've actually grown to the point where they're awkward, right? Where there's a lot of uh, fat in the system and they need that to be cleaned out and leaned out. And then quite frankly, there's, um, there's a lot of, I hate to even say this, but there's people in that company that are retired in place and, and that needs to change as well. And I think with Schlumberger's acquisition that will, now I say all that, let me tell you something else about Cameron. They really sincerely in their hearts worry about their people. And I love that. Um, I'm not sure if they're still doing this, but up till recently, you know, they still gave like real turkeys away to their employees for, for Thanksgiving. Um, they, they did a lot of stuff to keep their employees happy, um, to keep them safe. And, um, you know, you got to respect that for a company that's that size. So the cultural there over at Cameron's a bit old fashioned. They do do a really good job of taking care of their employees. Um, there is a lot of inefficiencies in their systems, a lot of fat. Um, and I think Slumberjays could clean a lot of that stuff out. So it's going to be interesting, interesting to see how that changes uh, Cameron. So we'll follow up on that from some conversations I've had with Cameron and obviously doing the best I can without disclosing anything um, proprietary here, but they do have a very siloed business model today. Oh, yeah. it is, it, in, maybe you can unpack what I mean by that, and then is Schlumberger going to help to change that? Yeah, so Cameron, and I don't even know, I think it's 13 now, has 13 or so different business units. Each one its own political fiefdom. So Cameron's measurement division does not know anybody in Cameron's subsea manufacturing, who does not know in anybody's uh, Cameron's surface, who does not know anybody in Cameron valve, and so on and so on. They all operate independently. I think recently they finally implemented a global supply chain. It used to be each of those business units had its own supply chain. Think wow. how crazy it was. Yeah. Wow. You know? And but their margins were healthy enough to support that type of inefficiency. And in this low crude price market. After Slumberjays bought them, that's going to have to go away. And Slumberjays is really good at cleaning that sort of stuff up. Yeah, and in their defense, that's not an abnormal thing. No, no, no. That's that's unfortunately it's common. And and what makes it even almost comical is that if you know the other subsea manufacturers, the GE oil and gas, the Ackers, the FMCs, they're exactly the same. They're all in, they're all the cultures. All of them have been sculpted by their high margin uh, world that they live in. Right, right. And yeah, another plain conversation I was having, woman was fascinated by the industry, which was which was fun. But yeah, explaining she says, well, how do, how do they survive then with this? I'm like, well, everybody's trying to figure out how to make more with less. And right. It's it's helping. And so thus, thus concludes our questions. My onion of the week, uh, Mark says is just wrong. So I had to go with it. <laughs> Slightly overweight middle aged woman, really carrying rest of church choir. Um, so, um, moving on from that, we do have this opportunity right now to talk about the opportunity that you have to win something from Red Wing. And 
we'll, I guess I'll mention that when we get to the when we get to the uh, to the LinkedIn group, Mark. But but you you've seen one of these bags. I think you have one or, or whatever the case is. So so break it down. I have one of these bags. In fact, hold on a second. All right. So I have one of these bags. I'm actually showing it to the video camera now. This is a really cool helicopter bag. Now, when I say helicopter bag, a lot of people go, well, I don't fly on a helicopter. Trust me. This bag would work perfect behind the seat of your pickup truck. Bring it to office to bring in office supplies. It's um very well made. It's very strong. I love this bag. It's uh, labeled Red Wing. Um, but it's very discreetly labeled Red Wing. So if you want one of these bags, pay attention, and we're giving one of these away a week. One of these, one of these away a week, and I and I forgot to mention last week until the end of January. So this right. is the January first show, 2016. If you're coming across this in November 2016, I'm sorry, the bags are gone. Um, yeah. <laughs> but hopefully you're still listening, and you know what we're doing at this point. So I'm going to hold you to this mark that. You'll go ahead and take a few pictures of that thing so we can get it in the show notes at triprocket.com forward slash TW44. Can you do that for us? Yep, absolutely. All right, perfect. So no purchase necessary to enter or win. See official rules at redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. So that's a great little link they put together for us. Redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Go there, submit your inf information. And like Mark said, we're going to be given one away a week through January. So this is your first opportunity to kick off the new year with a, with a new, um, <laughs> I'm tempted to say something, but we got, uh, I was going to say, we'll say kick butt, <laughs> kick butt helicopter bag from, uh, from Red Wing. Moving on from that, we don't have any events yet, right? No, but we have a new addition to our tribe. That's right. That's right. I almost forgot. James Gordy, why don't you introduce James Gordy? Uh, he is our new producer of the show. Yeah, so we have now have a new producer for our show. Um, our old producer was James. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> he was fired. Yeah, and so James Gordy, not to be confused with James Hahn, uh, great guy. I've known him for a while. He's an engineer fresh out of school, and he is coming on board as a producer of our show. So uh, James Gordy, welcome to the family. Yeah, welcome to the family. And just to point it out, it was awesome the way that James approached us about this because I've had no small amount of people come up to come up to me or email me, reach out basically, and ask for their own segment on our show, right? Yeah, we and both have. It, we both have, right? It's but too salesy. It's too salesy, and he came and he just said, "How can I help?" And and boom, <laughs> there you have it. And we're going to be doing point five episode with him to get his story and everything. And so, yeah. We love the help, and especially me, <laughs> because producing these shows is uh, no small task. But moving on from that, I'm going to talk about reviews because we, I, I, I religiously watch where we show up for the word oil. If you just only type the word oil into iTunes, and what happened is that Platts, in, in, in all, all respects due to, to a competitor in content production anyway, they, I don't know if they had the show on here before because I've never seen it, but it's Platt's Oil Markets Podcast, and and suddenly it it was uh, 36 episodes just showed up, and they, they knocked us off of our top, top ranking on, on the front page for that, but we got one review that kicked us up over them, and so let me go ahead and re, uh, read that one. 
Um, as soon as I get to it, thanks. Um, Oil and Gas Newbie, December 23rd, 2015. I love the weekly updates. Mark and James provide good summaries of what's going on and why in a format conversation that's very engaging. I also enjoy listening to Mark's 2016 outlook. 60 to 75 oil certainly looks a, like a bold call. <laughs> so, it is a bold call. It is a bold call. Anyway, thanks for all of your time and effort in putting this together. I love it. And I, I stated the, the, the date there so that I can underscore the point that we always talk about, that, that iTunes is a search engine. The more reviews we get, it, I'm not joking. I'm not making this up. It pushes us up because I watched it happen where Plas knocked us off. We got, a, we got a review. And now we're back in the front where you, when you just search the word oil. So please help us out. Go to tribrocket.com forward slash reviews or tw reviews tribrocket.com forward slash tw reviews and what does it take a minute mark yeah hey come on audience if you're competitive you play sports you watch sports on tvs help us kick one of our competitors butt go live a review <laughs> takes a minute and a half we want to smoke them so yeah as many reviews as we can get we would love to have them and that's what that's a really good point because um we're we're it, it pushed us up now to where we're visible again for the word oil uh, within iTunes on a laptop, desktop, or something like that. But we wouldn't mind being pushed a few more to the left <laughs> on that one. And so, oh, I was going to mention this before about the LinkedIn group, and so I guess we can wrap with this. On the LinkedIn group, our, our good friend Brian Mann, uh, Mann, Mann uh, he, he corrected me on that because he said, dude, you should know how to pronounce my name. It's spelled like yours with a B. <laughs> but he goes and calls himself oil man so um but anyway so brian just just posted a question there i guess it, i think it was from oil pro what are your favorite um work boots is that the right question yeah and it's interesting and, and this has nothing to do with red wing sponsoring our show i have two pairs of red wing steel toes that i've had for at least 10 years way before the show even existed and they are my favorite boots when i'm out in the field when i have to wear steel toes and um, i still have them so you know, that was, it was cool that Brian reached out and asked that question. I can sincerely tell him Red Wing, uh, which just happens to be our sponsor. So you know, hats off Red Wing for making really good stuff. Yeah. And we got a couple other people knocking, um, a couple other people coming in on that conversation as well, saying Red Wing, and we do have one vote for Timberland. So if you want to get in that conversation, you can go to tribrocket.com forward slash, oh my gosh. So if you want to get in on that conversation, you go to tribrocket.com forward slash LinkedIn and that will take you straight in to where you can join the group and join the conversation. All right, Mark, I'm looking around at my at my notes here. I think we've covered everything. Thank you again to our fantastic sponsor, Red Wing, and thank you to everyone for tuning in. Again, you can get all of our all of the news or all of the questions and links to the people's websites that gave us them um, at tribracket.com forward slash TW44. And if you forgot any of the links that we mentioned here, they're there as well. All right, Mark, you ready to get out of here? Yep. Folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Go find some grease, guys.
I'm just going to cut right here because I just feel like I'm just having a horrible show.